Introducing the all-new Romeo y Julieta Passion. The story of this cigar dates back almost a year, during a visit to the Flor de Coupon factory in Honduras. We witnessed the endless amount of passion and love the workers put into each and every cigar. This hand-rolled cigar uses a blend of Dominican and Honduran filler tobaccos, along with a rich and flavorful binder from the U.S. The wrapper is a zesty Ecuadorian Habano leaf that offers up notes of pepper, leather, nuts, and a dash of cocoa. Ignite your passion and pick up a box of the Romeo y Julieta Passion at JRCigars.com. Get ready for Smoke Night Live with Massa Sensei. Boom! Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on Facebook. Uh, it's Friday night. It's time for Smoke Night Live. Jordan, this is episode 250. We are now 25% oh, of the way episode. there until 1,000 episodes. So we're inching ever so close to that. It seems big. like we've done like a... 2,000 episodes. It already. seems like it, but we haven't. We've done two. This is 250, which is, I mean, that's pretty stinking good, if you ask me. That's a lot of, that's a lot of live. There's so much footage of us on the yes, internet. Yes, I know. I mean, that's the scary part, right? Like all the stupid things that you might say along the way. Or did say. Or did say. Hey, uh, big news. Um, I talked about this a little bit Wednesday on Flavor Odyssey, but. Um, as you may or may not have heard, uh, the Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest has been officially canceled due to uh, uh, the whole COVID thing. It's it's really mainly due to like state res- restrictions. Like uh, at this point, I think they could only have like 175 people, and so that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, you'd have 175 people just with the vendors alone, let alone letting anybody into the facility so that's a, a drag obviously uh, rocky mountain cigar fest is one of my two favorite you know um cigar events during the year um there's a lot of great ones but i mean me personally oh, it's the best me personally it's the great smoke at smoke in with abe and it's rocky mountain cigar fest uh those are the two in my opinion most fun ones there's a lot of other cool ones smoking in the carolinas of course is cool but Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest is cool for us because it's literally right here in our backyard. We have a big party uh, on the Thursday, and last year we even had one on the Friday as well, and then you have the Saturday event. So it's a drag that it isn't happening. Now, the the good news is uh, the fine folks from Smoker Friendly have asked none other than the Cigar Dojo to be the host of a virtual version of Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest, Jordan. And so on that Saturday, which is August 29th, uh, all these plans could change a bit. But uh, just so everybody knows, uh, we we plan to have maybe three or four live um, episodes during the day, kind of like a Smoke Night Live-ish, but like three or four hour-long episodes. And we'll be having uh, the vendors that would have been at Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest live on our show that day and they'll be offering deals and whatnot i don't exactly know how it's gonna go but here's the good part if you guys are 
dojo peeps watching on Facebook, and you were planning on coming out. You were planning on flying out just for the event. You're still welcome, Jordan. Jordan. Do it. They're still welcome. We will have you. We are going to have a Friday night event of some sort. We've been talking to our good buddy Scott Brayband tonight. It's been dubbed already Rocky Mountain Dojo Fest. Rocky Mountain Dojo Fest. Uh, We'll do something on the Friday night. That would be August 28th. We'll have some sort of party, whether it be here in the studio or possibly um, with Scott in another location close by with his uh, uh, mobile lounge trinity uh cigar company lounge so one way or another we're going to do something on friday night and i've already got some commitments from cigar some cigar peeps that are going to fly out anyways uh should i say a couple of them Mm, i don't see why not i know for a fact (laughs) that juan Cancel and kevin kythan will be here by the way did you get that i said kythan it shouldn't be because that's the way Let's his name is pronounced. It's Keithan. It's Kythan. Come on, Kevin. Get no, it right. it's Kevin Kythan. So the <laughs> Protocol Boys will be in studio. Terrence Riley will be here in Dojo! studio. So if you were thinking of coming out, um, let me know. I have a, a room block at a hotel that isn't too far from here. Really good rate. So if you want to come out anyways and party with us, um, you can sleep on a cot in Dojo Studios. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. you could do that. Um, so we'll have something on the Friday night. We'll definitely have something here in studio on Saturday, and uh, Randy Griggs will be here. Robbie Rasmussen will be here. Randy is going to do some barbecuing because you know Randy does it pretty much everything. He's going to have a smoker here. I think hopefully Cigar Kurt's going to bring down his his smoker. And Randy's going to like smoke some meat all day. I don't own a barbecue Cause grill because yeah. I'm very anti-barbecue grill. Jordan is a strange duck. He thinks barbecuing is weird. Anything you can do in the grill, you can do better in the oven. All right, Jordan. <laughs> nobody, nobody on this earth agrees with that. So don't, don't die on that mound, dude. I like to have don't these hot takes. That yeah, that's I a that's a that's a hot take. Uh, but anyways, uh, please contact me if you're still interested in coming out. I know if, uh, a few of you guys already have committed, uh, I mean, um, dojo peeps that want to fly in. So uh, we'd love to have you still. Uh, I get it if you don't want to and, 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 you, and you cancel, but we'd just really love to have you. So if you, if you want to, contact me offline. I'll get you hooked up with the hotel, and um, we'll just do it all kind of here in Lakewood, Colorado. We won't be going way up north at all. So you can just stay close by. Boom, boom, boom. We'll have a good time. It'll be amazing. Jordan, anything to add how on Rocky they, Mountain? How do they contact you offline? Well, you can email me That's, at um, seems like sensei at com if you want. Um, yeah, when I say offline, I just mean like, you know, like, you know, private message or email or whatever. Somebody's <laughs> laughing at me. I can't tell you who it is. It's a secret. Um, anyways, uh, guys, super excited about tonight's show. Because we've had, obviously, this guest on many, many times. And, and this should be a hint right now. I'm smoking this this massive... This thing is a beast. Brulee. And I, I love this cigar, camera. Jordan. Me oh and my you, gosh. Me and, me and Jordan have been I absolutely think, killing these things this I think this, this batch week. was uh, triple sweetened. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, let's bring him on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Saka, CEO, founder of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, and the mastermind behind this incredible blend, the Sober Mesa Brulee. Steve Saka, welcome to Smoke Night Live, my friend. This is where I'm supposed to talk, right? No. 
This is we oh, just look okay. at you. We're just gonna look at we you. We just look at you. Yeah, this is where you talk. Come on, Steve. Start talking. Issue. This is what the 250th episode. Yeah. I think I have only been on this show one time before. No. That is not true. That no. could not be no. less true. That is not true. I think it's true. I think. Look, I think Juan cancels on it like 62 times a year, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we had you uh, guest host two Cigar Wars uh, oh, Cigar of the Year shows. That's, so oh, that's yeah, right. you're right. Like, yeah, you're right about that. That's I remember right. that. And then, like, I don't know, like a handful of other things. You're probably, you probably rank in our top ten of repeating guests, Steve. Really? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I have to tell you, I've done so many of these. You guys are going to have to really dig deep in yes. order for us to have. If you could make me say or talk about something I haven't talked about. I'll tell you what, I'll send you a free box of brulee because I don't think it's possible. I've talked about everything endlessly. That doesn't, that, days. that doesn't mean that you can't talk about something again that isn't interesting. I mean, Steve, you, you've got a take on, on everything, right? I I'm mean, sure I'll ruffle your feathers. I can tell you something. one thing. I know a fucking grill is better than a goddamn See, oven. I'm already doing it. I'm already doing my job. <laughs> and you know, Jordan, he only likes to smoke cigars that are free, obviously. So, well, yeah, geez, I finally got this cigar, and no, no, per, no personal note or anything. Geez. <laughs> All right, Steve. Let's get let's get right into let's get right into this. Uh, honest in your honest, most honest opinion. Talk I mean, about the moon landings. No, no, no. In oh. your most honest opinion, I'm. Cl- that's actually that's actually close, Jordan. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Oh, that's actually pretty close. Yeah. Do you honestly believe in your heart of hearts? Does do Sasquatches exist? Do they actually exist out there? I mean, I'm I'm being serious. Like, do you believe yeah, they exist? No, I actually I actually think they do. Really? Mm. Yeah. Why? Think, why do you think? I think that? there's a lot of things that exist that we don't know about yet. I mean, think about it. They're constantly finding new things. What was that cave in South America? They said they found something like you know, 200 new forms of life. Now, granted. Most of them were like, you know, plankton and microbes and whatever. But I mean, we, I mean, we still, I still see pictures of things that they find in the ocean that just blow my mind. You know, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of things in this world that we don't, we think we know everything, but look, we can't even decide if coffee's good or bad or chocolate's good or bad, or, you know, if wine is good or bad. So how the heck do we think we can be experts on whether there's Sasquatches anywhere in the mm. world. And there's just been too many, you know, when, when you have so many sightings over so many, you know, we're not talking about just the last 20 years. Mm. We're talking mm. about something that's centuries old and it's still a persistent story over and over and over again. Now, granted, I'm sure a lot of it's, you know, you get hyped, you're in the woods, you really saw, you know, some fat chick, body <laughs> hair. Yeah, but I think, um, but I think, yeah, I'm, in my world, Sasquatches are real. Now, if if they are real, and we were to eventually catch one or find one or interact with one in in some way, do you right. do you imagine them to be sort of the way that we have, you know, characterized them or? cartoonized them like would they be intelligent would they just be more like a, a gorilla i mean what do you imagine a sasquatch I imagine them like? to be some sort of weird link in between neanderthal and cro magnon mm. you know so i'm not expecting a high iq um i certainly don't expect them to be like uh, harry and the hendersons i can tell you that and the other thing too <laughs> is we ain't catching crap 
you know damn well someone's gonna shoot one. I mean, that's just the we're human. Good God, we shoot everything. So they gotta so, be they gotta be pretty wily. That's what you're saying. They gotta be pretty wily. Absolutely. Look, dude, I have this skunk that every year lives under one of my sheds. Okay, every <laughs> single year, I know he's there. I smell he's there. I do everything to get rid of him. But I have never ever seen that skunk. So if that skunk is smart enough to evade my eyes when I know physically where it's at, how can I not believe that the Sasquatch can avoid a few of us clumsy humans in the woods? That's actually a pretty good point. Um, I got to say, that's a convincing argument. So why, how did the whole Sasquatch thing get associated with your brand? What happened there? Uh, it's kind of, so you know how nicknames work. You don't get to pick your nicknames. All right. And I've had a few over during the course of my life. And what happened was I used to work at JR Cigar, but I was never willing to move to Jersey. So when I wasn't traveling down to Central America or to the Dominican Republic, I would go into the corporate office, which is in Whippany, New Jersey. But because New Jersey, A, has crazy ass taxes and B, some of the worst gun carry laws in the world, I was never willing to move to Jersey. So we still lived in New Hampshire. So I'd go down on a Monday, drive back on a Friday. And one day I got in the truck Friday and I realized, oh, great, I left my cigars back on my desk. There is no way I'm driving five to seven hours without smoking a cigar. I mean, I, my truck is a rolling ashtray, okay? I can't physically drive a mile without smoking a cigar. So what do I do? I get on the phone, I Google a cigar store, I pull off, I go in. I walked through the door, planning on buying a couple, three, well, probably about eight cigars to get me home. And uh, and the owner just looks at me and he goes, oh, my God, it's Steve Saka. He's in my cigar store. It's like seeing Sasquatch. Oh, I got it. So then, you know, I hung out with them and his regulars. And then it just kind of became a habit that, you know, once every month or so, I would stop on my way back north into this cigar store and hang out with the regulars for a couple, three hours, and they just started calling me Saka Squatch. Okay. But that was a, that was a, in that one store, one group, never mentioned outside of that. Fast forward, literally what, 20 years for God's sakes? Is that true? Yeah. Now about 18 or 19. I got a friend, Jerry Smith. Jerry Smith, what he does for a living is he makes cheap shit in China. That's what Jerry Smith does for a living. And one of the things he makes is bobbleheads for, MLB and NFL and whatnot. So one day he calls me and he says, hey, Sokka, send me a picture of your head. I need a face on a side and a three quarter. I'm like, why do you want a picture of my head? He goes, oh, no, I want to make something for you. I'm like, what are you making that you need a picture of my head? <laughs> He's like, no, man, I want to. And I'm like, Jerry, I'm not giving you these pictures. What do you want the pictures for? Well, I want to make a custom bobblehead. It would be really cool. It would be you smoking a cigar, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, Jerry, I don't want a bobblehead. Why wouldn't you want a custom bobblehead? It'll be really cool. I'm like, Jerry, I don't want a fucking bobblehead, man. My head's big enough already. The body's going to have to look like a goddamn weeblo. I just don't want a goddamn bobblehead. And he just goes, Sokka, why do you always got to be a dick? Mm, I'm trying to make question. <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to give you a present. And I was like, Jerry, I just don't want a bobblehead. And that's when I said to him, hey. Do you think you could get him to make maybe a cigar-smoking Sasquatch? And he goes, I don't know. Send me some pictures of some Sasquatches. And then they basically probably had some girl chained to a radiator, sculpt that <laughs> thing by hand, and they painted one. 
and it got presented to me as a gift. And honestly, I was blown away by it. I mean, it turned out so incredibly nice. So, Steve, you said when you first started that whole spiel there, which was very good, uh, you had several nicknames. Do you remember any of the other nicknames? Oh, yeah. I mean, probably one of my other ones that was kind of a favorite of mine was uh, Sokka Khan. So when I was enlisted in the Navy, um, I had a very weird career path in the Navy. But what it ended up resulting in was me realizing that I didn't like the Navy. So I was never willing to go to the next step. So I got stuck on my ship for four years. And I was during the Reagan years, early Reagan years. So we were like Hayes, Grant, underway all the time. And incredibly underpaid, too. Um, so by the time I got on like my fourth med cruise, I was just so bored that I asked the, I said, hey, can I, can I learn how to become a junior officer of the deck underway? And that's what a line officer learns because that's how you actually, you're conning the ship. You know what I mean? You're calling out the, you know, one third rudder, you know, boom, boom, boom. I can't even remember the lingo anymore. So he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? So, and that's really unusual for a young enlisted guy. I was a second class petty officer to be allowed to do that. And at the time, the singer Chaka Khan was really popular. Okay. So all the enlisted guys that worked on the conning crews, the nav guys and the seamen and whatnot, they started calling me Saka Khan because I was Chaka Khan was popular. Saka Khan works for alliteration and I was conning the ship. So oh, Khan. Too perfect. That's, a, that's a good that's one. Brilliant. Jordan, did you ever have a nickname? I can't really. Uh, I, I was sometimes called Guts in hockey. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I was called because of the last name. Yeah. It's like people couldn't pronounce the name. So they just said Guts. Guts. That's pretty cool. You know. That's all right. We got uh, a qu- quick question already, Steve. Uh, this guy, Juan Cancel. Oh, no, this is the wrong question. <laughs> uh, no. He's everywhere. He's like a fungus for his, God's The question I wanted to have him ask was, what's your uh, cigar industry man crush? Oh, his favorite question. Juan asked that at least three times a day. You know, all mine are dead. Oh, geez. That was dark. Oof. Yeah, I just... Look, the, you know, the people that I idolized... You know, they're, you know, Don Carlos Sr., you know, Rolando Reyes Sr., Estelo Padron, that's the brother of Jose Orlando Padron, um, you know, Frankie Anesa. I mean, these are all guys that, you know, about the only one that's, like, still, like, kicking around is, like, Ernesto, Ernie. Yeah. You know, but, you know, look, I don't have the same crush level I had in the, you know, late 80s. I mean... I think I think Ernie's the first one to ever actually show me how to make a cigar. What if we're just talking looks wise? No, <laughs> no cigar. <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm leaving this one alone. No matter what I say, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Oh, if, you're so close. If I pick a chick, I'm in trouble. If I pick a dude, I'm in trouble. Yeah. No. <laughs> Pass next. Steve, do you ever do you ever worry about you having no filter, like when you're talking, like? I remember uh, when we were in um, Nick. This is a Juan Cancel related question, but uh, I remember we were in Nicaragua. I was with you and a bunch of guys, and Juan Cancel was down there, and we're all talking. And Juan Cancel was super excited because he had his first cigar, his first protocol, and he was like, 
I really, I, Steve, I'd really like you to try this cigar. And he was like pr- practically on his knees and he, he was just so excited that you were there and so excited that you might try his cigar and you lit it up. And, and Juan, just with bated breath, is just like a, a little, a little schoolgirl, just, oh, please, what do you think, Steve? And you were like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. It's like, you know, I know it drives a lot of people crazy. You know, look, he used to drive my partners crazy. Um, but, you know, life is just simpler if you just say what you're thinking. And you don't have to remember any lies. You don't remember how you don't have to act a certain way. And and look, and honestly, for as many people that don't like it, there's another group of people that really love it. You know what I mean? And even for the people in our industry that, you know, oh, sock is a dick, but they all respect me. You know what I mean? If you ask them, yeah, he's a pain in the ass, but and, you know, and, and I'm OK with that. And um, and I've never been much of a for airs kind of guy. And it's just, and oddly enough, look, I barely got out of high school. Enlisted in Navy when I was 17. I mean, I've been bought out three times in my life. It works for me. Yeah, I, I, I kind of imagine you as this guy that, you know, like your, your grandma gives you cookies. And like every single kid in the world, when your, your grandma gives you cookies and she says, do you like the cookies, honey? And, you, and every single kid in the world says, oh, grandma, they're the best. I just imagine you as being like, grandma... These cookies suck. I mean, I don't like them. You know? uh, look, it's my grandmother. So it'd be more like, you know, grandmother, the last ones you made were much better. <laughs> I, would, I would soften it for my grandmother. You know? <laughs> look at me. Do you think I skipped on any cookies for God's sakes? What cookie don't I like? <laughs> but in, in fairness to Juan Cancel, everybody, if you're watching, Steve will say the same thing about cigars that he makes like you'll just say like ah this particular this one wasn't good like i had to it was terrible and uh but a lot of people like it or whatever like you don't you don't pull punches regardless of who makes it even if it's yourself and let me say this so you're smoking that sober mesa berlay double corona right correct i think the larger size i don't think it's as good as it is in the smaller toro i mean the double corona is longer it smokes but if i had a head-to-head choice I personally would smoke the Toro. I think the Toro gives you a little bit more richness, whereas the Double Corona just takes kind of longer to get there. Now, the Double Corona, I made it because I had a lot of stores saying that they have a lot of golfers and they smoke, you know, certain brands in that size. And they're like, man, they love your sober Mesa Brulee, but they just keep saying they wish it was in a golf size. So... I said, okay, you know, I'll make it a larger size. But I think that cigar is actually better in a Toro than in a Double Corona, personally. I do think it's it's better than the Robusto, though. I would go maybe Toro this, then Robusto. Yeah, um, I don't still get up, Gore. Look, I'm so in love with the Blues that, for me, the Blue is the best of the five. Ooh. So, you know, I'll be really excited when that one hits the show. All right, so we were going to talk about that, so we might as well jump right to that right now, Jordan. Let's do it. Let's talk about the blue. Um, explain that to us and what we might expect from the blue. Okay, so in the regular Sobra Mesa, my favorite size is the Cervantes Fino. I love the Elegante and Cedros and the Short Churchill, mm-hmm. but those two, the blend is slightly tweaked in. Um, the Cervantes Fino is one of the original core sizes, 
And it's, it's a Lonsdale format. It's like six and a quarter by 46. It's a little bit thick for a Lonsdale. Um, it's just a size. I love Lonsdales. And you notice in almost every brand I make, there's some sort of six by 46 or six by 48. For me, it's just a real cherry size. And, um, and I wanted to make that size in, in brulee. And look, the blend needed some working to make it work in a 46. You know, it's very easy to scale between, you know, the 50, 52, 54. And, you know, so that's not a lot of changes. But when you start going down to a 46, I mean, a lot of people just proportionally cut the tobacco and make the proportions just the same but smaller. <coughs> but that doesn't really give you a great cigar. You really need to blend within certain ring gauges. 38 and 40 requires a blend. 41 to 44 requires a blend. 45 to 48 requires a blend. 49 to 54 requires a blend. 56 through 58, that's almost one. And then you have another group that when you get over 60 requires a blend. So I always... I'm writing this down. That's good. (laughs) I always don't just say, okay, I like this blend. Now make it in these sizes. Right. I actually tweak the blends to work in the sizes. And sometimes I'm more successful than others. In the regular Sober Mesa, one of my personal disappointments is the Torpedo Tiempo. It's not that there's anything wrong with the cigar, but in my opinion, it doesn't do what it should do. A torpedo shape should slightly intensify the flavor. And for me, when I smoke the Sober Mesa Torpedo Tiempo, um, it doesn't. It just tastes like a Toro with a pointy end on it. Mm. And But I didn't really come to that conclusion until a year after it was in the marketplace that I finally went, you know... I kind of missed the mark a little on this. So then you're set with the dilemma of, well, do I go back and fix it? Well, no, because some people say the Sober Mesa Torpedo Tiempo is the best of the Sober Mesa, and they buy it by the box. So I can't really go back and fix it. You know what I mean? I mean, it has to be consistent because you have a guy that's buying it, and you don't want to disappoint that guy. Now, I could choose to discontinue it. Okay, but I can't choose to really I can't change it. I mean, people do it all the time, but it's wrong. It's just it's bad for business, actually. Now, even even if you're making the cigar better, it's bad for business. Now, am I right in that the blue is going to have a slightly different branding? You posted this uh, yeah. on Facebook today, right? Why, why did you why did you decide to uh, actually so, brand it differently? So I wanted to make the blue. It's a slightly tweaked version and a size I really like. And then I said, okay, let's put a nice fancy rosette pigtail on it to just make it a little bit more elegant. Because one of my favorite Connecticut shade cigars from the late 80s, very early 90s, were those Davidoffs that came in the tubes. And I kind of wanted to recreate that experience that I remembered those cigars giving me in the late 80s and 90s. So I wanted to look more elegant. When I did the original Sober Mesa Brulee, I toyed with the idea of making the band blue. I thought it would look really sharp, but I was afraid to do it because blue, if it isn't a dark, majestic style blue, it has a tendency to go into the effeminate direction. You know what I mean? Okay. And very few blends, brands ever survive. Now, I'm not saying there aren't examples of ones that have been successful, but the history is in that light blue is a dangerous color for consumers for whatever reason. And so I was gun shy because I didn't want to take a perfectly good brulee blend and change the band. But doing this special limited production 
one size. No, you know what? I can put the blue band on it. You know what I mean? I, I don't have to. And look, I didn't buy 150,000, 250,000 of those bands. I bought just 25,000 of them to start. You know what I mean? Now, they're costing me a fortune because I just bought 25,000, which is ridiculous. But it lets me see it. And it also lets me not risk, you know, the way consumers feel about brulee. And, you know, and, you know, you, I know you say sometimes it is those different things like the Rosa Sharon pink. And look, I know amongst the I know there's a lot of people that smoke it, but I bet you there's some consumers that don't smoke it because of a pink band. Oh, totally. As silly as, as silly as that may sound, there are a lot of consumers out there that won't. On on Wednesday, you sort of broke the story that you were going to release the sampler. Last uh, Wednesday. Yeah, this past Wednesday. Last Wednesday. I'm not done yet. I'm not done. Oh, you're still talking? Jeez. Yeah, on the, on the blue thing, yeah. because of the way it ended up working out, Okay. the delays of COVID and the packaging delays, and our sales were so good at the end of last year because I was originally planning on – I was originally planning on shipping this cigar back like last October. Okay. But sales were so good, I didn't need to. I didn't want to add anything to muddy the water. Mm. That now, when we release blue, it'll have a full year of age on it in the cool rooms. Oh yeah. So I'm gonna make that part of the whole blue thing going forward. All the brulee blues will always have at least one year of aging in the cool rooms before they get boxed. I think the blue is gonna be cool. I dig. I dig Upgrade. gold and blue together. Anyways, I think that's a cool. Look personally. Well, it is. I gotta say, one of the coolest. Silver Mesa is one of the coolest bands mm. out there, as it is. Yeah, we did we did an article on best cigar bands a few years ago, and that was one of them. That's right. It did make the list. All right. So you were gonna ask me about the STFU. Yeah. I, I, as I interrupted you, um, I was gonna ask you about the uh, the STFU sampler because uh, if you if you haven't been paying attention, folks, there's a bit of controversy with the brulee. Like, is it a sweet tip? Is it not? And I have to tell you guys, I've had some of these that tasted to me like they were, no doubt, in my mind, sweetened. But then I've had other ones, like this one I'm smoking right now, that does not taste that way at all. So, Steve, you just said, hey, man, let's just explore this. Let's just find out what you got, what people really think of a sweetened tip. And so talk about the STFU sampler real quick. Let people know what it's all about. Yeah, so basically, look, most of the people that smoke brulee and think they're sweet tip are not guys that actually smoke a lot of sweet tip cigars, you know? So I've always said that if you smoke this with a host or if you smoke it with a Baccarat or if you smoke it with a Sweet Jane, you can tell the difference between a sweet tip cigar and a cigar that just has some inherent sweetness in it. And look, I always knew brulee was sweet. It's why I called it brulee. I mean, I'm not an idiot here. And obviously, by calling it brulee, that kind of compounds it. And it kind of became a little bit of a controversy where some people thought absolutely it was sweet-tipped. And honestly, if it was sweet-tipped, I'd just say so. Because I'm not embarrassed to say it's sweet-tipped. I'm not, a, I'm not above doing anything, but I am. I would take credit and tell the consumers what they're getting. So I've been playing with this. I didn't get indignant about it or upset. It's kind of turned into this running internet joke for the last year, you know, and um, and I made some funny videos about it, you know, saying I piss on the wrapper after I eat a bunch of candy, you know, and that's why it's sweet. And um, I thought, you know what? So all this controversy made me have Hoya 
make some sweet tip versions for me to smoke. I said, here, here's a recipe for single sweet tip. Here's a recipe for double sweet tip. It's not like I don't know how to sweet tip a cigar, right? President Drew Estate, for God's sakes. So they made them, and I I smoked them because I was just curious for my own. Right, yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know what? This is kind of cool. I bet other people would like to do this too. So I came up with that to crazy sampler. Going to be five cigars in it. The only thing I'm guaranteeing is there will be at least one not sweet, regular brulee Toro. There'll be at least one single sweet tip brulee Toro. And there'll be one double sweet brulee Toro. Now, there'll be two other cigars in them. They may be not at all. They may be doubles. They may be singles. It may be some mix. And we're going to label them with a band, S-F-T-U, and then exclamation point on the fifth cigar. And then on Facebook Live on, originally it said September 15th, but I'm going to may have to change that because this was a stupid idea that I thought, <laughs> you know what, maybe I'll sell 300 of these things, 400 of these things. Um, yeah, we sold about 10 times more. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, just in Jeez. fact, we sold so many that I have about six or seven accounts. I had to actually cut their orders back that I could not even ship what they want because they're really so, so I, I may just for safety reasons, push the date to like September 25th because I don't want to get the cigars in and people don't have enough time to smoke them because we got to distribute them, get them to the retailers. The retailers got to sell them to their customers. So I may push the date a little bit because I'm now concerned when it was like going to be when I, in my head, it was 300, no problem. But now that I'm dealing with 10 times that plus I can't, I'm now a little nervous about getting it all done in time. So, uh, well, go ahead, Jordan. real quick, are you are you saying that like um, if they're banded like an S T, is would the S always be? Let's say it was the regular uh, brulee. The yeah, S is always. What will happen that. is in every pack, the S's will all be S's, and the T's will all be T's, and the F's will all be F's. So unless the factory totally fucks this up, which could possibly happen, because this is like a really confusing thing. And I've already been talking with Mario about, okay, we can only do the S's on this day. And then we can only ban the F's on this day. You know what I mean? Because if they have all five of them being simultaneously banded and all the cigars look the same, the only thing that's different is the tip on them. And the only way they could tell is by sticking it in their mouths. (laughs) Um, This could turn out to be just hilarious, which maybe in some ways would even be funnier. (laughs) Then I'd have people say, well, no, the T is the non-sweet one. Oh, the S is the unsweet one. So maybe I should just mix them up on purpose. And that would be kind of a funny joke. (laughs) What are you going to do if, you know, after this little experiment happens, if like everybody's like, oh, the double sweets, it's the best brulee of all. I Look, mean, I'm this in, is the I'm way it should be. I'm in the cigar business. Let's not to buy them. I would make them, you know, I just label on the package what they are. The issue that I have is twofold. One, I don't believe that. I think it's interesting for us to try it. But the guys that are going to buy this pack are not the guys that normally buy sweet tip cigars. I mean, I'm giving no discount on these suckers. They're 12 bucks, okay? Uh, that's what a brulee Toro is, 12, 12.45. And the bulk of the consumers that smoke sweet in the Connecticut shade, not in the infused end, but in the regular old like hosed or baccarat, those guys are in the four to five dollar price point range. You know what I mean? Do I really see them stepping up to a Davidoff quality sweet tip cigar? I I don't really think there's a market there for it. I think that this sampler is interesting. 
but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is going to be an issue. Well, I'm looking forward to trying the experiment myself. That should be fun. Jordan, let's do our commercial break real quick, and then we've got some other questions for Steve in the second half of the show. Stay tuned because, guys, the weekly top three this week is going to be uh, based on the brulee, but it's going to be the weekly. Hope Steve, you're going to have to think about this while I do this commercial. Uh, we'll give you some time to think about this. Your top three favorite desserts. So if you're watching on Facebook, start thinking of your favorite dessert foods. So that's the weekly top three this week. Uh, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, including the brand-new exclusive Romeo and Julieta Passion. Don't forget to check out their social media pages, including YouTube, where they feature cigar reviews, interviews, and their famous famous <laughs> weekly top five videos. Check out JR Cigars for all of your premium cigar needs. This is episode 250 of Smoke Night Live. We are here with Steve Saka. And Steve, on Facebook, you put these questions out every week or so. And um, I picked out three of them, and I thought I would um, just sort of get your comments on them. You ask people to comment on these, and you typically do comment a bit on them yourself on Facebook. But I, I just like... I don't comment a lot because I don't want to poison the... The well. Well, with my opinions. Right. But now it's time to poison the well. So yeah, no the, the first one is um, you, you asked the question about manufacturers scrambling to come up with some sort of replacement for the PCA show, which is not going to happen. So there's folks that are doing sort of like virtual uh, events or even events where they bring people in. These are sort of like um, uh, brand-specific versions of the PCA in a way and, and like some people have been doing this for a while, like Eric Espinosa has been doing La Zona Palooza for several years, but other brands now are doing this more and yeah. more and more. La Zona Palooza is more it's, a consumer right. event. True. Some of his best retailers come. I don't. I don't think that that's a replacement for the trade show. Right. So, what are your opinions about these sort of um, uh, makeshift versions of the PCA, but more like brand specific? Um. Listen. I don't, first off, I have no idea how these are going to work. Okay. I mean, I understand how mechanically they're going to work. I don't know if they're going to satisfy the goals that these companies are trying to meet. Um, you know, for a lot of companies, you know, IPCPR trade show in that time of month or that time of year, even if they're not coming to the trade show, they're still buying trade show deals. Um, for a lot of companies can be as much as, uh, you know, 25 to 50% of their total sales happen in that 30 day window. And there's other companies, there's some small companies that for them, that's like their whole year sales happen in that show. You know, when I say whole year, I'm talking like 85%. So, you know, this is, this is going to potentially leave a really big gap. So I think companies are trying to figure out what to do. And you understand they're trying to figure that out, not just in the absence of a trade show. Look, we've got, We've got a presidential election year, which is always a little bit of a downturn. We're coming because it just typically the market shrinks about eight, nine percent because consumers are just nervous. Retailers are nervous. They don't know what's going to happen in the election. Um, but we're coming off a bad 2019, not for all companies, but overall, we were down like nine percent in imports. The market was already flooded with a lot of cigars and the major manufacturers were really already having to super discount them. To try to move them. We come into 2020. 2020 is just a repeat of 2019. 
And then we have the presidential election coming, and then we have COVID, and then we have the shutdowns, and then we have the economic crisis, and now we have the race riots, and we're talking about second waves and stock market crashes and 40 million people unemployed. I mean, you couldn't ask for a more tumultuous situation. So, and I think that for a lot of companies, they've taken a real hit. You know, there's been a few of us out here that have done well in this scenario. But for the vast majority, it's been a really rough, hard hoe. And they're trying to figure out, okay, we can't afford to lose all those sales that would normally be generated during the trade show period. And they're trying to figure out a way to do it. Some companies are going to do Zooms and things like you're doing now with their customers. Um, I, I guess they're going to like coordinate meeting times and do them one-on-one, -on -one, like we take meetings at the trade show. You've got some companies like Rocky Patel, Alan Rubin, Oliva, and Crown Heads are kind of joining forces and they're doing like a, a mini trade show road show where they're going to be in like i don't know 14 cities 18 cities over the course of like three days four days five days and you know try to get the local retailers to come in and do that because you understand it's not just pca taa got canceled this year pca got canceled this year dortmund got canceled this year so it's not just one trade show. You're really missing three trade shows. Right. It's really happening. And look, I'm on a conference call next week to talk about TPE for next year. Dawn asks she wants to solicit all the booth vendor exhibitors' opinions because they're trying to figure out if even January is going to work. Right. So I, I think companies are trying to figure something out. And I was just kind of curious – and that's why I asked the question. Normally when I ask the questions, I'm more interested in what consumers think and retailers also chime in. But on this particular question, I was interested in what retailers thought. And I only got maybe a dozen or 14 retailers to reply because most people in our business, they love the questions, but they don't want to step in and actually mm -hmm. have an opinion because they're afraid of whatever the blowback may be. And so um, I'm really curious, you know, you know, are you intending on going? What do you think of these? You know, is it going to change? Are you going to spend the same money you spent last year? Are these, you know, so I, I really don't know. I mean, what I do know is I hope they work for everybody because they're going to put a lot of effort. And look, doing that mini thing around the country, that's not going to be cheap either. No. I mean, probably not going to cost what it costs to do the trade show. But, you know, it's definitely going to be a lot of work. Um, we, we have something that we've kind of concocted that we plan on start doing. Oh. Uh, um, but it's a little bit different and I don't want to really talk about it until I'm actually doing it. Um, so, but I mean, it's, it's, it's just a very weird, weird market. I mean, yeah. ba on that same topic, before we go to the next one, PCA was already having a very tumultuous year. Uh, in your opinion, can the PCA recover from, from all of this? Are they going to be able to come back next year? Assuming COVID's over and they can do it, can they can they rebound the answer, from this? Yes. You know, nothing is permanent in life. I mean, it's not like it's the fourth trade show. It's like, what, number 88, 89? We're up there, right? Right. And um, look, the show needs to be retooled. But the show needed to be retooled 15 years ago. And they just let it go down this path. And for a wide variety of reasons. And look... The PCA themselves, the IPCPR, RTDA, they're not the only guilty party in this. The manufacturers have equal guilt, too. You know, so it, there's a lot of parts and pieces. 
but it also depends on how you approach the trade show. Like when I'm at the trade show, you know how many orders I write? Hmm. Zero. You know what I do the entire trade show? I talk to knuckleheads like you. <laughs> my, my, my entire schedule is packed with media availability every single day. Uh, and really the customers, they have to squeeze in between you guys because I know that you're all there. And it's a very convenient way for me to get my message out to a lot of consumers. So I, for me personally, the trade show has more value for the media coverage than it does for the sales. And that's what I personally put my effort into focusing at the show. So I'm not going to have that this year, you know, and it's not like I'm going to get to do the pretty, you know, oh, and I have this and oh, I have that. And oh, I have that, you know, and it's going to be broadcast by 30 different people. That's not going to happen this year. And I don't know. I think that impact is going to be a bigger impact than the other in some weird way. Well, I hope the PCA is listening to this. If Jordan, only, as I was going to say, if only they they, under, they thought the same way, that would be amazing. They don't really, they don't even really want us there. <laughs> the, the value in the PCA is not for the deals. It hasn't been for the deals for a very long time. The value is networking with those in your industry. You're networking with mm. your manufacturers. You're networking with your distributors, and even more importantly, you're face-to-face networking with other retailers that are in the same business as you. And you can learn so much if you take the time to have those conversations and ask questions and be open and really share what's going on in your store and find other retailers to do that with. And that has a tremendous amount of value. And that's really where that's where the value of the trade show lies. And they need to figure out a way to make it far less sales oriented and more that oriented. Now, what they're going to say is that's our fault, because as the manufacturers, we want to write a lot of deals and money at the show. But you know what? If the booths weren't the size of a Taj Mahal, you wouldn't have to write all that money. Mm. You know what I mean? And I understand then the PCA will say to you, well, we need to make money in order to support, to support afford the legislative efforts. Okay. Charge us more for the booth because that's the only place they make any money. They're not making money on the convention services. They're not making money on drage. They're not making money on the electrical guys that charge me $1,500 for a single outlet that they only turn on for eight hours a day for three days. You know, so, I mean, that isn't the part that drives the cost. The part that drives the cost is the scale of everything. I mean, last year, I think Drew Estate had like 150 people for God's sakes. I mean, it was like an army of people. Let's take the PCA at face value and say there are really 700 buyers. So that means they have one person for every three, four people at the show. And they have four days to communicate with them. So that a whole person gets a whole day. I mean, why do you have that army of people? You know what I mean? So I think there's a way that you can do it more efficiently. And look, you've been in my booth. Yeah. I kind of got a, I kind of got a pretty kind of nice ghetto style booth. You know, <laughs> I didn't build anything. It's furniture I bought at Bob's Discount Furniture Warehouse. You know what I mean? But it looks nice. It's super comfortable. It's functional. And you know, and no, I, I literally cobble the whole thing together for like the thing that costs the most is that fancy lighted sign. You know what I mean? But everything else in there ain't a damn thing in that booth that I spent more than 500 bucks on. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> You're pretty much sitting in front of the booth right now, right? Yeah. The, uh, your backdrop there? Yeah, this is a bad one I bought. I cut it up to use as a sheet on the wall. 
So, all right, let's move on to the second one, the second question you asked. This is an interesting one. You said you'd be stunned if someone, if not multiple someones, do not release a COVID-inspired cigar brand in 2020. And your thoughts, or your question was, how would you feel about somebody doing that? Can you imagine, Steve, if somebody... Did that, and it doesn't sound like that outlandish. I mean, there's been some crazy. Come on, we've had, we've had all sorts of crazy stuff, right? I mean, I don't, I don't want to start calling out names because they all get upset when I bag on them. But come on, remember the one with the black kid with an AK-47? I mean, that was a box <laughs> design. Okay, one of my favorites is uh, your very good friends when they made their little children's game cigar. Uh-huh. So when I posted that question. I was actually trying to do someone a favor, okay? Because I, I don't knew, do this. I knew what the I knew what the answers were going to be, okay? And I just wanted someone to have a chance to see the warning, to see the signs. You know what I mean? <laughs> have a chance to. You know what? Why don't you read these three hundred comments about what a brain brilliant idea this is, and maybe it'll give you a little bit of pause. So me asking that question was actually a charitable act for some idiot out there. Because it wasn't like I was thinking about releasing a COVID brand <laughs> cigar in any way. You know what I mean? So I hope, I hope it does someone some good to avoid a real cluster muck. Jordan, Jordan, what do you think would be the most likely name for a COVID-inspired cigar? I, I'd say like a... There's, there's already been one that's been released. It had nothing to do with COVID. It was way before COVID. What was the viaje, the antibody or something like that? The antidote? Like, right. Zombie, Zombie antidote. antidote. Right. So they're, 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 you know, that one's already almost been taken, like the antibody. But I mean, what, what else could there be? There, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 I pause uh, to think, but I, I'd be worried if somebody did pull t- that off. Turn your head and cough. How do you think people would respond to that, Steve? Do you think, how would you consume? Uh, wait, Scott, do you got Scott? Well, not the name, but it's only going to come in one size, and we all know what size it's going to be coming in, right? What's that? Corona. Oh, yes! Why am I so stupid? Of course. <laughs> come on. I can already see a brand called Social Distance. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you know somebody's going to come up with some knucklehead thing, you know? Six yeah. feet. Yeah. All right. Your third one I wanted to bring up is um, this is an interesting one because I know people I, I do see people talk about this all the time. This is an interesting topic. How do you feel as a consumer when you see a cigar brand that you really enjoy and support, but now being sold regularly at a deeply discounted rate online? Steve, what caused you to ask that question? The reason why I ask those questions is because it is the things that get discussed in the stores. These are conversations that consumers have, and it bothers a lot of the people in my industry. Sometimes I'll post a question like that, and they'll send me a private text or a PM and say, why are you bringing that up? Why are you asking that? And the thing is, I'm not creating something out of thin air. These are conversations that are already happening. So I don't understand a retailer or a manufacturer. I understand why they don't want to wade into it because they're worried about the blowback. People are very sensitive about what they post online, and obviously we can see why given recent events. But I don't know why they wouldn't want to hear an unvarnished consumer's opinion because consumers won't tell you the truth to your face. You know, Every time I'm in a room and I give someone a cigar and they tell me they like it, 
I kind of take it with a bit of a grain of salt because most people aren't like me. They're not going to say, you know, it doesn't really work for me. Eh, I think it's a little dull. I think it's a little flat. No, what they tell you is they do the polite thing and they tell you it's good and then they never buy it again. Okay. So when you as a manufacturer or a brand owner are interacting with consumers, there's very few that will give you an unvarnished opinion. But they all are sharing their unvarnished opinions with the other people in their lounges or in their Facebook groups. So I try to bring some of that to light. And that's a look, that's a conversation I've had. And I, I can tell you from my perspective, it kind of pisses me off sometimes. You know, I, I mean, if I find a brand and they could afford to sell it for that price, then why did they sell it to me at the other price for, you know, four or five years? I understand economy of scale, but there's no economy of scale that takes a cigar that used to cost $12 and make it into a cigar that costs $6. Well, so Steve, then what does that tell you about that brand? Let's say it's a, typically it's a $15 cigar. The boxes would be, you know, $300 for 20, tells me, but tells now me, it's, it's 1995. Tells, for... tells me three things. First thing it tells me is that who's running those companies are idiots. Okay. <laughs> because they have no understanding of brand management whatsoever. Okay, so that's number one, which now means I pretty much have pissed off at least 85% of the people <laughs> in my business. But it's just a fact. They're not good at brand management. They really aren't. And then the second thing it tells me is it tells me that either they would prefer to make a lower quality cigar so they can sell a higher volume, and that's what they're doing, or they were ripping me off from day one and charging me too much. And I'm not talking about a closeout. I'm not talking about a situation where you have this really great brand and all of a sudden they need to move some for cash flow reasons and one of the big box guys buys a lot of it and they run a crazy deal for 30 days to blow through it. I'm talking about products that there are quite a few really big name brands that have literally gone to where they are 40 to 60% off every day, all the time. And how is that possible? Right. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. I understand you're over inventory. So you blow through the over inventory, which still I would argue with that, that it's better to sit on the over inventory. But that's a separate brand conversation. But I, I personally, I find it a little I find it a little insulting. So to me, either I was being ripped off mm. or B, the quality of the product isn't as good as it used to be because there's no economy of scale that takes a cigar from a twelve dollar retail value to a six dollar retail value. It does not exist. Right. Ouch. Well, I, I totally agree with all of what you said. I'm not even in the in the manufacturing side, but it does, you know, you do feel ripped off as a consumer when, you know, you just, even just looking at the deal, when you get the catalog and you just see the deal, I think I'm, obviously it works because they, they've been doing it for however many years, who knows, but uh, I think a lot of dudes do see that and say, oh, geez, come on, like, what, have you been ripping me off for the last five years or what, you know? <laughs> hmm. All right, so uh, Jordan... Here we go. I say it's time because we were three minutes before the hour. Weekly top three, Jordan. Whoa, weekly top three. <laughs> that's, <is>. the official, <laughs> that's, that's the official jingle. That's the official jingle. This week's weekly top three is inspired by the Sober Mesa Brulee. Uh, it is the weekly top three desserts. So if you're watching on Facebook, what are your top three desserts? And I'm going to start with Jordan. Ooh. Jordan. Don't you hate when people call them zerts? They, uh, they shorten it to zerts. I've never heard that before, ever. Stupid. I've never heard that once okay. in right. my life. 
I hate it. What is your weekly top three favorite dessert foods, Jordan? I'm going all three. You're going all three, baby. Just just fire them off. Sopapilla cheesecake. Mm. It's I don't know how you make mm. it, but it's like you'd think. A That's sort of like a in a pan. It's in a pan. It looks if it's a texture of cheesecake, but somehow they've woven in the Mexican sopapilla aspect mm. into it. Oh my gosh! I have had that. That's really Does good. Does it come drizzled with honey like a sopapilla? I like think. I think it's. Uh, I think it's switched to caramel usually on this one. Okay. Um, and then next is I've, lately, me and my wife have been so into Blue Bell cookie oh. dough ice cream. It's so <laughs> incredibly good. Now that's brand specific, Jordan. You're going brand. No, it is very brand, brand specific, specific because, like, you go with some of these other brands, they don't put nearly enough cookie dough in there. Maybe they put the chocolate chunks are too big. I hate when like I'm eating ice cream now. I have to like work on this chunk of chocolate for like 10 minutes <laughs> i want to keep eating ice cream you know that's the thing with with chocolate in ice cream it gets so hard yes that it's it does it's well, not like, like or they put like uh gummy bears in ice cream oh, sometimes like what now i have to like work on this thing for like an hour to soften it up no no that's horrible the cookie dough ice cream in bluebell cookie dough ice cream is so actually they almost put too much in there like sometimes i have so much cookie dough i'm like oh i need to like get some more vanilla ice cream to balance this out well, i'm gonna have to try that one and then the last one, you, you guys might know it as no-bake cookies. I call them busy-day cookies. Mm. But it's like... Uh, these are amazing. These cookies you can whip up in like 10 minutes. It's like uh, chocolate, oatmeal, peanut butter, kind of like a just a cookie that hardens on its own. You just, you just drizzle it on a pan. It hardens out. So good. And I remember I've been making these since I was like 10 years old. I made a batch when I was 10, and I messed it up. And I was so upset that I, I was crying over it. I still remember <laughs> oh, this to say. <laughs> Jordan, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I got to tell some embarrassing stories. I feel terrible time. now. I would never want to. I've perfected it since. Cry over I would a story I like only that. cry about these cookies every <laughs> once in a while now. All right, I'm going to do my three, and then we'll get Steve's favorite three. My favorite three, you're, you might start to get a theme here, but um, Brownies with vanilla ice cream and chocolate syrup drizzled oh, yeah. on it. Right, uh, you can't go wrong there. When the brownies, do you, by the way, are you a corner brownie guy? Oh, center, center C- cut. Your center, Steve. Are you a corner brownie guy or are you a center oh, cut? Yeah. Oh. I love that. You know those pre-packed. What do they call them? The ones that are just all the burnt ends of brownies. Mm. They now put them in a package. You buy them at the airport. Those things are incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, think I think they're called like brownie thins or something, where it's essentially just that kind of crackled burnt edge. Yes, yes. I'm with you on that one, 100%. All right, my next one is chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream. I have classic. I've asked for that for my birthday, I think, every year, and I'm, I'm going to be 55. I think I've asked for it 54 times, literally 54 <laughs> times. And my final one is... Um, Carameled pears with vanilla ice what? cream. Have you ever had that? Caramel yeah. pears with vanilla ice cream. It's like cooked in a pot. You know, you just got this caramel sauce with vanilla, melting vanilla ice cream. It's incredible. Yeah. That, that came out of left field. That's so a all, surprising. all three of mine involved one thing is vanilla ice cream because it's delicious. So did my, well, some of mine, yeah. All right, Steve Saka, what are your favorite three dessert foods of all time? Well, as you can tell, looking at my, you know, unbelievably fit body, you <laughs> rarely ever eat dessert. Um, my number one is kind of a, I can swing either way on this one, but it's either creme brulee or flan. I just, 
I love that. I've always loved it. It's so simple. It's so classic. And of course, what's the difference between creme brulee and 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 flan? Um, flan has a little bit thicker texture. Flan also the way it's cooked is different, and it seems to have a little more. um, Just seems to have a little. I think it's more the texture, really. Mm. A flan Mm. is a little stiffer than a than a regular creme brulee. So, but the flavor profile is near identical between the two. And with the and with the flan too, you don't have it where the surface is brulee. You have all that kind of gooey caramel, you know, syrup that pours over it. So there is a difference between the two, but those are those are interchangeable for mm. me at number one spot. Um, the number two spot is classic, also bananas Foster. Oh. Love it. Prepared oh, table yeah. side. We talked about that before the show. We were talking about this. Right. That with a with a Madagascar vanilla bean, vanilla ice cream. Um, I just love that. And it's something that I'm never going to make at home. And I like the whole show and the presentation and the flames and everything about it. But if they're, when I go to a restaurant, if they have that table side on the menu, I am 100 for 100 ordering that. No doubt about it. Get like a bourbon-y caramel kind of a sauce going on? Yeah, it's just so good. Um, And then the third one might surprise you. Um, Cheese. Cheese. I go very very French on this Mm. one. That after-dinner cheese plate, you know, with a a good fortified wine and some sort of a little bit of chutney and, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, like water-style crackers, very simple cracker, and uh, a selection of cheeses, three to five cheeses. I just, uh, I love ending a meal that way. You get, you get a nice uh, charcuterie board? No, I don't, for dessert, I don't get the charcuterie. Mm. So when it's a dessert, it's just pretty much a port paired with the cheese. What's the uh, Steve Saka cheese of choice? For me, for me, aged Asiago is the king of all cheeses. Steve, what's your what's your cheese of choice? It, I eat everything. Yeah, I, I got yeah. Go are you like a are you like a brie guy or do you like the stinky cheese? I like brie, or what? I like goat cheese. There's there's very few cheeses that uh, don't have a really great place in my heart. In fact, one of my favorite places to eat when we go to Las Vegas for the convention center is there in the uh, which side is that? It's the Palazzo side. There's that French blue steakhouse. The name is escaping me at the moment. But they have a great cheese selection there. We literally eat breakfast there like almost every single day, you know, because I, I just I love starting with charcuterie and cheese for breakfast. Oh, I'm a total cheese and wine Cooten guy for days. Like, baby. man, you Coot- give me you give me like a Pinot Grigio and aged Asiago. It's Some, so we, good. we have this. Uh, we do charcuterie boards every Saturday night around these parts. It's, we've dubbed it Cooter Day. Cooter Day. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> all right, Steve, last question before we start to wrap up the show. In, in all these these last few months, you know, since, I guess, March, uh, when we started the kind of lockdown or stay at home or whatever you want to call it, is there anything that you learned about yourself that you didn't, like, know? Like, are you good at this? Like, are you good at lockdown? Like, do you like it? Is it? Is there something that you found out about yourself during this time that that maybe you didn't realize before uh, this happened Uh-oh. that you enjoy? Just slow down there, pal. Um, yeah. Wow. I'm not big on, I'm not big on <laughs> introspection. So, I, if no. I was next to you right now, I'd just I I'd have slap I you. Haven't, 
I haven't. I haven't really. I mean, I've learned that I have no willpower. I've been eating a damn dude. Okay, so here I'm at the desk that I work at. Right? What's on the desk? Oh, a bottle of Basil Hay. Oh, what's on the desk? Oh, a bottle of Lugavillin. Oh, what's on the desk? Oh, a bottle of Middleton Very Rare. I mean, I have been drinking like a fish. Every time I cross through the kitchen, I'm grazing like a cow. Okay, I can't go to the kitchen without consuming somewhere between one to 200 calories. I've literally packed on 30 pounds in like the last 90 days. So you realize uh, you're an alcoholic. Yeah. I realized, right, I realized that I'm a semi-functional alcoholic. I think we all have. I, I realized that I'm going to eat myself to death. I've realized that um, there are some things I really have realized, though. Um, I was really killing myself. You know, I was I was only home last year like 72 days or so. Right. Um, 72 nights in my own bed, and I can't do that. Mm. It's just I just don't have the energy. And I was already planning on scaling back this year, and um, but obviously now I've scaled too much back. Um, so I need to find some sort of balance of me being accessible and out there because I also, I enjoy the events. I enjoy sure. interacting yeah. with people, but when you're doing it at that kind of relentless pace, it does end up sucking some of the fun out of it. So I'm hoping that when I come out of this situation, I'll be able to be a little bit more balanced about how I go about it and not, and not try to squeeze so much in because when I squeezed so much in, I don't think anybody's really getting the best of me anyways. And, uh, and you know, look, it's, uh, I need all the help I can get. So do you, I need, do I, need you, to, I need to temper that a bit. Do you still, do you still find yourself being able to just enjoy a cigar for cigars sake? I mean, when you get typically, well, like when you get like super involved in anything, whatever it might be, if you're in some sort of manufacturing of some sort of product or anything, really, like a, a hobby, and then all of a sudden you become like the uh, the president of the local group for that hobby. Like sometimes it can sort of taint your, you know, your enjoyment for the actual thing. Are you still able to just grab a cigar and just enjoy it as a cigar and like set all this other stuff, the FDA, the manufacturing, all of that aside and just still enjoy it? Amazingly, I am. Um, but I mean, look, probably 95% of my smoking is in some way work-oriented. Even when I'm smoking my brands that are in the boxes, um, you know, I'm always being a little critical. You know, is this a little too wavy? How's this draw? Right. Hmm. I really don't understand why they put the band this way on this cigar because 30 degrees to this direction is a better face on this one. So... You know, you never can really turn it 100% off, but there are certain cigars that I really just – look, I have my favorites in my line, and there's some that when I pick them out and choose to smoke them, I'm really just doing it to crater. And the other thing, too, is I'm lucky because I can smoke in my house because um, everything in my house has been paid for with cigars. So my attitude is if I ruin anything and it stinks – that's the smell of money, and I'll buy more shit with money I make on cigars. So for me, a lot of times, some of the cigars I enjoy the most are the ones when I'm just crashed in our gathering room watching a video, you know, watching a movie, you know, and not really, you know, paying more attention to the movie than I am the cigar, and the cigar just kind of is there. 
Right. That's kind of nice. That's good oh. that you're still able to to do that and set it aside and enjoy it. I think most guys in the cigar industry would probably say the same thing because it is one of those few items, cigars, that it is the time to just set everything aside and kind of relax and enjoy the thing that's right in front of you, you know? The reality, Eric, is the cigar business is a sucky business <laughs> as far as profit goes. It's not, look, I'm not saying that people can't do well and they can't make money, but this is not an easy way to get rich. It just simply isn't. And, you know, for most new companies starting out, it takes them just five, six years to even get their legs under them. And it takes them until they get to about 10, 12 years before they even figure out how to make it somewhat profitable. You know, and you really got to hit two decades before you kind of hit your stride. It's, it's and, and look, and the margins aren't crazy good. And it's, you know, it's very complex business. You got, you know, raw materials coming from a wide variety of countries. You're manufacturing in third world countries. You got packaging materials coming from all over the world. I mean, it's a tough business and you got, you know, retailers and distributors and big box and direct to consumer. I mean, it's it's not a simple business. And so I think for the most part, any of the family owned or small companies that are owned by the corporate giants, those people do it because they really love it, because there are a lot of other ways that you can actually make a way better living a lot easier than this way. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, makes our industry very unique and different in the fact that we are actually the biggest consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't like the cigarette guys. They don't all sit around a boardroom and say, wow, oh, the cigarette's amazing. You know what I mean? Right. right. That's a good point. It's more, it's more like the bourbon guys or the single malt scotch guys. They're in it because they really genuinely love the product that they make and they love the enjoyment of it. And I think that's very true in the cigar business too. You know, we are we are the number one consumer. Right. Uh, so we got an audience question for you, Steve. Uh, Thomas Babin wants to know: Would you ever consider making a box press? Doesn't seem like you make too many box presses. Well, I mean, Sin Compromiso is all box pressed. Um, that's the only thing I currently have. Right. Um, this year's Red Meat Lovers mm-hmm. is a different size, and it happens to be a box press. Um, I made the famous 80th anniversary. That was a box press. Okay. Uh, Don Derma was a box press for Ronnie at Secreto. And Frog Juice that I just did for Jeff at Riverside. Okay. Was a box press. What do you think are like the you know quick points that you would differentiate between box press and non-box press? If you had to just quickly sum up. Well, first off, let's just talk about the term box press. It's really kind of a lie. None of these cigars you guys are buying that are box-pressed or box-pressed. Where box-pressed comes from is cigars used to be manufactured primarily in Cuba, but sometimes in the Canary Islands, and then they would have to slow boat their way to Europe. So what the manufacturer would do is he would make the cigars slightly larger, and he would pack them wet in the boxes. And the boxes would be just a little undersized, because that way it would hold – because this is before cellophane – it would hold the cigars rigid in the box – so they didn't get damaged going over the ocean on the slow boats. And when you open that box, therefore, the cigars ended up being box pressed. What we do today is we really simulate that by trunk pressing. It's called a quadrado press. And we can, by doing that, we can be more precise with the press and we can make thinner presses and thicker presses and more square presses. And what I tend to do are more soft style presses. And the reason I do soft style presses is a couple things. When you're making a really 
a very severe pressed cigar, it makes it where you have to bunch the cigar differently because you can't pack the material the same way. It's a totally different hand fill because what you really have to do is you have to kind of underfill the cigar. And because if you don't underfill the cigar, when you go to press it, the cigar is going to end up becoming too tight. So with a lot of box press brands that are in the marketplace, a lot of them are light, slightly underfilled. They often, like on a standard Toro, like a, like a Connecticut Broadleaf Toro for me is going to weigh somewhere between 18.9 and 19.3 grams as a finished product. But if I was going to make a Padron style box press out of that, I would be lucky if I had 15 grams of tobacco. Okay. Now, when you do this kind of looser style to achieve this box press, it ends up increasing the combustion rate because the cigar is slightly underfilled. And for some people, they love that because it gives you a really super open, easy draw. But at the same time, you smoke a box press cigars. A lot of them, they smoke like literally 30% to 40% faster than a non-box press cigar. Okay. So the only way that you can make the bunching technique feel the same in the hand is to go with a very gentle, softer style of box press. And that's what I use on Sin Compromiso because then it doesn't have to change the technique in the hand and I can get the cigar packed as densely as I like my cigars because I like my cigars densely packed. I mean, I want the draw to be super open, but I think for a lot of consumers that aren't familiar with me and my brands, they would pick up one of my cigars and they would, you know, give it the quick feel and they go, oh, this isn't going to smoke because it's really hard. And it's just because they're so used to so many other manufacturer cigars when they feel like that way, they don't smoke. But you can make them smoke. You just have to do you have to position the tobaccos appropriately and you have to also pick the right materials not just for flavor, but for combustion. So they complement one another in the mechanics of the cigar. So I tend to make more soft box press with a gentle press because it doesn't force me to change my bunching technique to make them. Mm. All right. So uh, folks, uh, Steve, for the folks that are watching that are fans of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, what's coming up? What's next? What can people look forward to this Summer right, well, and or end of the year. Samplers. We have Sober Mesa Blue. Um, I'm smoking with cigars we're adding this year to the portfolio. It's the Tricky Traca and uh, 6x52, mm. which, of course, I'm an idiot because why wouldn't I make a Toro in the first? But I didn't. Um, <laughs> you know, And uh, so I, I have a Toro coming out this year. And I also have a Gigante coming out, um, a 7x64 and Tricky Traca. That, it's really fantastic. And I think 7x64. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it's actually, oddly enough, it's one of my most popular Mike Ritas. It's called the Grand Buffalo in the blue blend. And um, and I'm going to add it to the to the red blend also. And I, I really, look, if you smoke Gigantes and you like to smoke really heavy, strong cigars, your options are very limited. Because most Gigantes, they tend to be air balls, okay? They either tend to be air balls because the size makes them air balls, or they tend to be not really all that flavorful and good because the manufacturers are just dumping a lot of kind of lesser grades of tobacco just to make them that physically large. And the customers that buy them, they don't really care and they like them the way they are and they're happy. So there's nothing wrong with that. They're getting what they want. But there is a group of consumers out there that like like a La Florida Minicana digger. You know what I mean? Right. Okay, so my Grand Buffalo and me, Kirita, and now my 764 and Tricky Traca, it caters to that consumer that 
doesn't just want it because it's big. He wants it big and he wants it to be a bold and a brassy and a rich cigar, you know. And uh, so I have that coming out. And then, um, look, I have, uh, you know, I mentioned the special uh, Rocky and Rocky Mountain, listen to me, the uh, Red Meat Lovers that I'm doing. I'm doing another run of the famous 80th. Um, I'm doing I'm three years in a row. I'm doing a firecracker again, mm. um, which really stuns me that uh, Dave has tapped me for three years in a row to make the firecracker. But he isn't doing it out of charity. He obviously has consumers that keep asking him for more of them. Right. Um, so, you know, but um, we right now were I'm not going to release a whole new brand. Um, look, we doubled in sales last year until wow. COVID happened. We were up 58% January, February, even after COVID. I mean, we had an ugly stretch there in March and early April, but we've totally bounced back. I mean, we're actually, I beat my June numbers on June 10th this year. Okay. I was up 40% in May. Things are just really cranking. And my worst selling brand, not my worst tasting brand, is Totos Las Dias. And even Totos Las Dias last year was up almost 20%. It was up like 18%. So I have so many different cigars in the market and so many different brands, and they're all selling more, that I'm afraid if I put another brand out there, I'm just going to end up sucking away my own shelf space. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like I have something that's dying and, okay, let me replace this dying dog and see if I can revive that. I don't have anything right now that's doing that. Everything is, everything across the board is growing. So I don't, I don't want to step on my own schlong here. <laughs> Which you know? I do every day, every morning. <laughs> that's my I problem. I don't want to be my own worst enemy. Right. Oh, and, and look, and I'm a big believer in consistency. I mean, for me, I mean, I want the guy that buys a box of Sober Mesa El Americanos that has the same experience that the guy had five years ago. I'm, you know, that's really, really important to me because I know that once I get a consumer that adds me to their rotation, they're buying it because of what it tastes like and how it is. And if I let it slip in any way or if I change it, um, they're going to know right away. And I'm going to lose that guy. And I don't want to lose that guy. Right. So I have to be very careful. So and like, look, this year we did Unstolen Valor. We're doing another release of Unstolen Valor in just about you know, 30, 40 days from now. We'll be landing in the country. So basically, I'm just kind of fostering what I have and then sprinkling in a little goodies here and there you know, for, 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 for my cigar geek people. So they have something new to look forward to. But I'm not... Uh, I'm not going hog wild this year. And I wasn't going hog wild before it was the COVID year. Right. It was just, that was, that's actually a good strategy. I mean, you see a lot of companies do that, like almost like every other year kind of a thing, which makes sense. Um, Cause you, you don't want to like, like you said, you know, uh, you know, just uh, take away from a brand that you already have. That's going good. Hey, and Steve. Then, I also, I don't want to make just crap to make crap. Exactly. Right. Just because it's new and it's easy to sell. What's the, you end up on that hamster wheel and eventually you end up crashing or you run out of steam, you know. So, you know, I try I, I want to make things that are special. The one thing that I don't have that I probably eventually will have is I don't have anything that I would consider a classic pepper bomb. Mm. You know, look, the firecrackers are peppery. You know, the tricky trocas are peppery. Um, you know, the popetas are peppery. But I don't have, you know, Todos Las Dias can be peppery. 
but I don't have what I would consider that full throttle, you know, pepper stick. That's the one thing that's kind of a little bit of a hole in the portfolio that somewhere down the road I'll probably address. Right. Uh, Unstolen Valor <laughs> was pretty peppery. Yeah, Unstolen Valor we smoked the other day, which was... I'm not saying it was your pepper bomb. It was a very peppery <laughs> stick. And, uh, and the thing about Unstolen Valor for me, it, that was the one thing about it. But the thing with it is the pepper level really varies. It's kind of like a transition of pepper. It's like a softer pepper, and it kind of builds, and it kind of goes through this cross between you know green and white and red and black and it's one of the things that i found very interesting about the blend but you know that blend i mean it's not mine number one raul made the blend and number two i don't i've tried it in a variety of other sizes and all the other sizes would really need a lot of work to dial them in they're not as good as the toro which was the first one that it was made for the base blend. Mm. So it, it would definitely require some, some, some work. And if I was going to make it for myself, and I'm not taking away from Raul's cigar, so don't shoot me here. <laughs> but I would, I'd like it to have a little bit more earthy, kind of dense, rich creaminess to it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I'd like to somehow get that component in it. And in fact, I kind of do. Um, I made a variation of Raul's U-Blend called U-Boat, and I'm making a batch of U-Boats for my friends at Rockies uh, this year in uh, Syracuse, you know. So I've actually kind of already done it. But, again, I only did it in one size. It's like a 7 by 50. Mm. So. All right. Well, thank you so much. Steve, don't go away. Uh, that was episode 250, Jordan, of Smoke Night Live. We got all sorts of juicy info from Steve, as we always do. Guys, Wednesday, Jordan, Wednesday, we get yep. right back into Flavor Odyssey. This is the wild card episode of... We're of talking bacon, people! Bacon. We're going uh, bacon and cigars. A special guest, Fred Rui, of course, bacon aficionado, <laughs> will be on the show uh, talking about bacon and cigars, and this gives the guys a little bit of a break, Robbie and Randy, a little bit of a break because they just finished the Connecticut version of the show. We did uh, Brulee, we did Numero Uno, we did the Champagne by Perdomo, and we did the uh, Rose of Sharon, uh, Desert Rose by Southern Draw, and we paired all those, and we came up with what we thought was the best pairings on those, and, and then after this wildcard episode... We'll be moving into, I think it was Corojo, right? Corojo. Corojo. Right. So we'll be doing the Corojo-wrapped uh, cigars. That'll be a ton of fun. Uh, next Friday night on Smoke Night Live, a week from right now, uh, we're going to have Bear. We're going to have Kevin Acuff. We're going to have Robbie. We're going to have Randy. It's a, it's a reviewer's, cigar reviewer's spectacle. And, Jordan, you're going to play heavily into this since you're a cigar reviewer as well. So that'll be fun. That's a week from tonight. Ah. But we can't end the show without talking just a little bit about this right here, folks. Oh, my gosh. Take a look at that sexy beast. This is the brand-new Sun-Grown Dogma. Look at that. That's, folks, if you want to get... There's never been a bad photo taken. If you want to get excited, this bad boy is coming. Uh, June, uh, July 30th, it'll be available at Smoke Inn. That'll be where it's first available. And if you order it from Smokin, you're gonna, uh, I can't even say what, but you're going to get all kinds of cool extras along with this cigar. This is a box of 24. It will not be the 10 count, which you're used to on the Dogma. This is a 24 count box. 
Yeah, right there. There's Boom. A, there's a cube. It's a it's a cube of cigars, and the cigar itself is basically a cube. You got to embrace the chunk on this thing. It Jack is, Hires coined the hashtag embrace the chunk. Yes, and so uh, we're I prefer King of the Undercrown. King of the Undercrown, right here. We're super excited about this bad boy. We'll be talking a ton more about this as time goes on, but I just wanted to whet your appetite on this delicious stick that we're getting ready to release. Super excited about that. Uh, guys, remember, tonight, it's Friday night. That means it's Friday Night Herf. Jordan, now playing. Share what you're Party, smoking. Party, people. Share what you're smoking on the Dojo app. Share what you're drinking. Uh, we'll be hanging out all night as we do every Friday night on the Dojo app, having a good time with all of you guys. Appreciate everybody's support. Appreciate all of you guys that tuned in to watch tonight. It was a fantastic episode of Smoking Alive 250. And we will see you next week. Remember, never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next Friday night. Introducing the all-new Romeo y Julieta Passion. The story of this cigar dates back almost a year during a visit to the Flor de Copan factory in Honduras. We witnessed the endless amount of passion and love the workers put into each and every cigar. This hand-rolled cigar uses a blend of Dominican and Honduran filler tobaccos, along with a rich and flavorful binder from the U.S. The wrapper is a zesty Ecuadorian Habano leaf that offers up notes of pepper, leather, nuts, and a dash of cocoa. Ignite your passion and pick up a box of the Romeo y Julieta Passion at jrcigars.com.